0: in um, you remember our study last week or when it, we when we were last here in our in our study through the Old Testament <clears throat> you see how the Lord is preparing Moses he's teaching Moses all these things about the tabernacle, how to build their tabernacle and he designs he gives them the blueprints for this uh, tabernacle in the wilderness and it's a place where the Lord when he speaks to Moses, He tells them it's like it's not just a place. I mean, it is a place, but it's special where he says in uh, chapter 25 in verse 22, he says there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in, in commandment to the children of Israel. And we're going to see in future chapters, you're going to see the fire of the Lord. You know, you, you look at the book of Numbers in the early chapters and you see the layout of the camp and it's like a cross. And right in the midsection, it's where the tabernacle is and there's a fire there that burns forever. And it's so beautiful because the Lord says, you know, there's another fire and like the cloud when the cloud is it's going to direct the people and say like, okay, now it's time to pack up and we're going to move and we're going to go to this place. The Lord is straight up leading them. And it's so beautiful when I say it's a special place. It's I I don't I don't know the word to say it, but it's like a special place times infinity because it's oneness with the Lord. That's not to say that the people are faithful Mm -hmm. to the Lord. Because, you know, you do see little uh, glimpses of infidelity unto the Lord. But through it all, you always see fidelity from the Lord. And it reminds me of you and me. You know how the Lord is always, always, always faithful. It's you and me who fail sometimes. But then at the same time, that's the beauty of grace and mercy. There's going to be times in your life where you fall. There's going to be times in your life where you fall hard. But praise be unto the Lord because the richness of His grace, the richness of His mercy, it's in those moments where He chastises. The same way a parent chastises their young ones. To say, hey, cut it out. And it's so powerful. And Paul writes... You know, he says, you know, that where, where sin abounds, grace abounds, what's much more. And when we get in our study in the book of Romans, he says, you know, does that mean so that I should sin more so that grace can abound? He says, no way. That's not a good thing to do. Never, ever, ever put yourself in a situation. And I said, put yourself in, in specifically. Never put yourself in a situation where you're taking advantage of God's grace and his mercy. That's not a good thing to do. Because you diminish the Lord when that happens. People diminish the Lord when that happens. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what's so powerful is that Moses is having this very, very interaction, this very, very uh, 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 intimate moment with the Lord. But don't forget, there was one period in time where Moses didn't even know who the God of the Jewish people were. He knew the Hebrew people were enslaved by what he thought were his people, the Egyptians. And this unknown God has now become very known to him. It also reminds me of you and me. How an unknown God becomes very known to the reader, to the hearer. Because as Romans 10 teaches us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's so powerful you know god is the same yesterday today and forevermore he never changes in this very special passage of intimacy the lord is teaching us about the consecration of priests in accordance with the law in accordance with the old testament and when you start to see moses as a type of christ that's what jesus christ does to you and me moses as a type of christ he does it to the believer Keep in mind that Moses has no idea what's happening at the bottom of the mountain. You know, by now, at this point, he was 40 days, you know, in the cloud, on the top of the mountain with the Lord. Joshua wasn't, you know, with the people, but Joshua was outside the cloud, the next leader for Israel. But keep in mind that, you know, by this time, there were starting murmur, murmurs, murmuring in the camp. You know, oh Moses, he's been up there too long. Maybe he's dead. Is he going to come down You know what's up? And don't forget also that a couple chapters earlier, it was the people themselves that said to Moses, they said, Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But don't let God, let not God speak with us lest we die. They were the ones who said that. That's from Exodus 20 verse 19. They said, Moses, We don't want to hear from the Lord. You know, the Lord will speak to you and you tell us what the Lord says and we will do it. And so Moses says, "Okay, guys, wait here. I'm going to go up to the camp or go up the mountain. He takes with him the elders, the elders, along with Aaron and his sons. They're at one level of the mountain. And then Moses says, "Okay, I'm going to keep going up into the mountain. He also says, Joshua, you come here with me. And so it's the two going up the mountain. Moses is an old man. He's not like a young whippersnapper, just, you know, galloping up the mountain. He's an old fellow. Have you ever seen an old fellow walk, you know, get up from the couch and walk to the bathroom? It's like an event. And then at the same time, I am in mean, picture Moses, an old man, and he's walking up a mountain. But don't forget, he's with Joshua. I would love to be like, you know, there was no wall, but a fly on the rock, you know? Just watching these two men, a young Joshua, young strapping man, you know, muscular, just helping this old guy, you know, hey, let's go up the mountain. And then the old guy looks back, says, okay, Joshua, you stay here, I'm gonna keep going by myself. And he disappears into the cloud. It's very, very beautiful, intimate moment that he's having. And in these blueprints, The Lord is teaching him about the consecration of the priests, setting them apart for a very, very special task. And he says in 20 chapter 29, verse one, and this is what you shall do to them. Uh, And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. And this word for hallow, it's to cleanse and consecrate, to cleanse and consecrate. And you start to understand certain connotations in the entirety of Holy Scripture in terms of what Jesus Christ does to you and me. When we believe upon Him, when anybody believes upon Him, and not just believes upon Him, but then all of a sudden starts to obey the teachings of His Word and how He cleanses you, He cleanses me from deep within. You could be, I don't care, you know, you could be a womanizer, you could be an alcoholic, you could be a drug dealer. But the very soul that says, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, it's like, okay, you get up, dust yourself off, and now let's learn together. Let's walk. There's going to be, you need to repent from your sin. It's not just to say, hey, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There is repentance, the acknowledgement of sin, and to say, Lord, I blew it. And then to turn around from the sin. That very process of cleansing and consecration in accordance with the law, there's a lot of blood. A lot of blood involved. Because remember, life is in the blood. In accordance with the law. As new covenant believers, there's still a lot of blood involved. The blood of God's only begotten son. And so he says that you should you shall do to them and hallow them for ministering to me. Notice not just here in these passages when Moses is in the cloud, but, you know, you're going to see when the Lord calls somebody a prophet. You know, it's always ministry unto the Lord and never, ever, ever forget that because a lot of people get involved in ministries for the sake of ministry and it's always for the people ministering to the people you have to be very very careful with the, if the lord ever calls you into a ministry to understand hey the ministry is unto the lord it's not unto people it's unto the lord now the people that's not to say that you know the people are you know you know riffraff the people are beneficiaries of this ministry of the lord but it's service unto the lord it's service unto the master We are the servants. It's service unto the master. And the beneficiaries are the people. Because what happens if it's the other way around? If it's, oh, I'm going to minister to these people. You know, I want to do good in my community. So I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a pastor. I think I'm going to be a minister. I think I'm going to work with the homeless people. I think I'm going to work with fill in the blank, whatever it might be. If it's for the sake of people... In the course of time, you will get tired. And not only will you get tired, you'll start to compromise. Oh, I'm ministering to these people, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. So all of a sudden, instead of standing for truth, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to, you know, it's okay that you do this. It's okay that you're involved with this. It's okay. And then there's compromise. Compromise. Compromise begets compromise begets compromise. You can compromise in one little area. And that's not to say, you know, you're going to compromise in one area, then all of a sudden, you know, jump off a cliff and do something major. But compromise is endemic in the life of a believer. Compromise is also contagious. Contagious. That's why you see these holy people, prophets, male, female, and like Old Testament, New Testament. There are people who are just sold out to the Lord. Ministry unto the Lord, and the Lord uses them, just like we read in the book of Acts. And you see Peter and John in the power of the Holy Spirit and what they're doing in ministry unto the Lord, but the people are the beneficiaries. Thousands of souls being saved. Thousands of souls being added to the flock of Jesus Christ. The same concept is being applied here. In verse in verse 1 still, he says, "Ministering to me as priest. And then he says, take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall, make the, you, sh, you shall make them of wheat flour. The Lord is very specific. All these things that the Lord, not just here about the consecration of the priests, but in these other passages about the clothing of the priests, the garments, the, the, all these things. How to make the tabernacle, how to make the holy place and the holy of holies. He is very, very, very specific. And what's so beautiful about this is i mean this what's happening here this interaction with god and moses it's it's beautiful beyond belief but you know what's equally beautiful maybe if not more beautiful is you see the obedience of moses carrying out these things And I don't mean equally beautiful to say like, hey, Moses is above the Lord. I say, you know, possibly even more beautiful because you start to see the Lord in Moses. Jesus Christ was speaking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees were like, you know, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. And the Lord was like, how can you even, how can you even hear? How, How can you have ears to hear what Moses wrote about? Because Moses wrote about me. It's it's night and day to know the word of God, but then to live the word of God night and day. But in the passages, you know, Moses is going to come down from the mountain and see egregious sin in the camp. But the beauty of that, not that, but the beauty of the aftermath of that. Is the correction involved. The steps that are taken in the lives of these people to say, hey, yes, you've fallen, but no, come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. It's very, very, the, the, you know, hardcore parallels with the Christian church. Hardcore parallels with the new covenant church. To say, hey, yes, this is sin. And I don't want to diminish sin. I don't want to make it seem like, okay, sin is no big deal. Sin is a very big deal. But then, now what? Yes, somebody is involved with sin, but now what? Do they die in their sin? If they die in their sin, there is the second death for them, which is the lake of fire. And that's what's so powerful about the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in our study in the book of Acts, the Lord takes these disciples and he uses them like crazy empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news, to go and make disciples. Not go and make converts, but to go and make disciples. And the church blows up like crazy. But it's the exact same concept in the Old Testament in accordance with the law. And I don't mean the exact same concept in in terms of the fulfillment of the law and in the acts of doing the law, but the uh, uh, the same concept in terms of being uh, corrected by the Lord. In terms of restoration by the Lord. And so he gives these very, very specific instructions. He says in verse 3. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons. You shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall wash them with water. You know, it's, you know, the Lord is having this intimacy with Moses, but then he also says to Moses, Hey, Moses, I want you to have this very special intimacy with these guys. This is like the very beginning of the Le- Levitical priesthood. This is a priesthood that you're going to see all throughout the Old Testament and a priesthood that you're going to see in the New Testament as well, except this priesthood, this same Levitical priesthood that goes through the lineage of, Holy Scripture, they forget the Lord. They should have been the ones to to know Scripture, to know the Bible, to maybe refer to the scrolls, roll them out, and start to read everything, and say, hey, guys, the Messiah is here. But no, they conspired to kill Jesus Christ. So this Levitical priesthood, I mean, it's beautiful here what's happening, but in the course of time, they forget the Lord. And so look what happens here. He says... In verse 4, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. You remember Jesus Christ in the upper room when he washed the disciples? I mean, it's very specific. Jesus Christ disrobes, and he's got like undergarments on. And then he takes this big basin of water, and he starts to wash people's feet, the disciples' feet. He starts to wash their feet. And Peter's like, you know, Lord... You know, over my dead body, you're not going to wash my feet. And then the Lord tells him, Peter, you know, unless I wash your feet, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter's like, you know, bathe my whole body, not just my feet, my whole body, Lord. Very special intimacy that the Lord has with his people, that the Lord Jesus Christ has with you and me. Very, very special intimacy. It's available. But not a lot of people... Partake in this very special intimacy, and I don't mean to, I don't want to say that in a shameful kind of way, or in a shaming kind of way, but in one sense there are shameful aspects of it, you know, to get, you know, every, we all have 24 hours in a day, you know, if you chop it all up, what, in that time period, what is, what is occupying your time in that, in that 24 hours? You get sleep, you know? get, you know, eating time. You get like TV time, you have work time. You have, you know, newspaper time. Time to do all these different things. And I remember one time, you know, when I was playing games with the Lord and there was a godly, godly man in my life. I have such high regard for this man. And he could barely speak English. And he was telling me, Jay, spend time with the Lord. Just five minutes. Just open up your Bible and just spend time with the Lord. And he was like crying like a baby, you know. And I was like, man, here's a grown man, adult. And he's got tears in his eyes and he's pleading with me to read my Bible. And was like, just five minutes, Jay. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it at the time. Today, I totally get it. I totally get it. Just five minutes. His very words that he told me. Hey, Jay, just five minutes. I say to you guys, just five minutes. And you're going to love it so much. What's gonna, something's going to happen inside your heart. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, when you yield to the Word of God, something's going to happen where you're like, Wow, Lord, look, I don't care about anything else. I just want to dive into your Word and just get lost in your word and something it's supernatural i can't explain it i mean if i were to like psychoanalyze you know you could say well you have to you know mentally do all these things mentally do that that's stupid you know people go to higher education to learn that stuff but you can't explain this it's holy it's the power of the holy spirit And so, you know, there's this very, very special intimacy that's available for all of us. It's not a closed door. It's not reserved for this guy, this lady, this guy, this lady. It's to everybody. And the word is, we have the word. The full counsel of the Holy Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. And in this intimacy that God is having with Moses to cleanse the priesthood, it's like the very, I want to say inception of the priesthood, but it's really not the inception of the priesthood. I'll explain that in a little bit. This is what he says. He says in verse five, then you shall take the garments. Remember uh, in, uh, you know, chapter 28, our study about the garments, about, you know, everything that was, you know, the, the, how the Lord gave these blueprints to Moses. Very special care and attention to the garments. He says, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you know, in the new covenant, as new covenant believers, you and I, we are girded with truth. That's from Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. That's what we're girded with truth. The truth of God's holy word. Truth. Truth. Not an idea of what we desire God to be. Not an idea of what we think the Lord thinks. But the truth of his holy word. And you ever hear people say, well, I think God would do this. Or I think God would approve this. Or, you know, God is a loving God. And so I think he would do. Anytime somebody says to me, hey, Jay, I think God. Instantly, it's like my guard is up. Instantly. It's like, I can't even say it's like that. It's like intimate, like instant. And, you know, it's up for good reasons, but it's up because I immediately start to analyze their life. You know, if it's just somebody that's involved in some kind of crazy sin and they're doing drugs, they're cheating on their wife, they're sexually active, they're doing all these things. And they tell me, hey, Jay, I think God would do whatever. I think God thinks this, you know, their counsel goes in my ear and out the other. I do not accept it. I reject it. 100%. I reject it. But every once in a blue moon. I will be confronted with a godly man or even a godly woman a sister in the lord and i have to say a lot of these people are old people a lot of these people are old and they say hey jay i thank god and it's like you know immediately i like take a little you know measurement of their life look at their marriage their wives you know their husbands their kids their household their family And it's like, okay, I want to hear what this guy has to say. I want to hear what this lady has to say. And then I'm going to take their counsel and I'm going to take it to the Lord. These are things, the truth of God's holy word. You know, all these things that we read from his word, you know, the truth hurts. But it's also very beautiful in terms of what the Lord does inside of you and inside of me. Truth is very painful. I've been walking with the Lord for 20-some years now, and it's still so painful because, you know, we're human. I forget, and I'm starting to realize as I get older, I forget even more, and it's so cool because it's like, oh, I forgot about this, and it's like, wow, Lord— you know, you're always going to be able to take inventory of your heart before the Lord and say, wow, Lord, you know, I want to rid myself of these things because these things, it's, it makes it difficult to honor you with my life when I have these things in my life. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's things. How you're spending time. You know what, Lord, I'm going to get rid of my cable subscription. Because it's consuming so much of my time. And Lord, I just want to be in your word. And sometimes you have to repent. Oh, Lord, this is taking up so much of my time. And you know what? I'm forgetting you. You open up the word and I mean, you start to feel it. You know when you've been out of the word of God. You start to feel it because it's like, man, I'm more carnal than I normally am. I mean, we're, you know, we're in these earth suits and we have a carnal element to us, but it's like, wow, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said that to this person. Then you start to realize, man, I better, I better not hang out with this guy. He's a bad influence on me. I better not hang out with this lady. She's a bad influence on me. And it's so cool because it's moments like this where the Lord does this correction inside of us. But never forget, you know, never forget with truth, the ability of truth to really chip away at our hearts. Satan is very crafty. Very, very crafty. So crafty that, you know, the, when the Lord says when you're dealing with Satan, he says, don't even talk to him. Just think of like, the, like a really, really like, like a salesman. I mean, you ever go buy a new car? You know, you walk through the lot, and it's like, okay, don't talk to the salesman. The salesman's gonna come out. Don't talk to him. You know, the very second they say hi, you know, thirty minutes later, you're signing papers, you're buying a car. You know, don't talk to the salesman. You know, and the Lord says, you know, like in in uh, in Jude, you don't have to go there. I'm gonna turn there, but in Jude. He says, yet Michael, Jude 1 verse 9, he says, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. This is Michael, the archangel. I mean, in the heavenly realm, there's like a hierarchy in the angelic realm. And Michael was like up there, like way up there. And Michael, the archangel, Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That's spiritual warfare. When you're confronted with the demonic realm, when you're confronted with Satan and his minions, just say the Lord rebuke you. You don't have to get in these, you know, huge arguments with Satan. The Lord rebuke you and be done with it. And it's so powerful because you know the ability of truth to really chip away at your heart, to really chip away at my heart. It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord because we're able to die more and more and more to self. Remember, the Lord says, carry your cross, the instrument of death. Carry it. What is your instrument of death? Are you carrying it? And I don't mean death like, you know, you know, carry your instrument of death so you can die tomorrow. Although that wouldn't be a bad deal. But to carry your instrument of death to say, you know, I want to die to myself. I want to die to my carnal desires. I want to die to this fleshly nature. The same concept applies here in the Old Testament. In terms of what the Lord wants to do with his people. People. And this is what he says. He says in verse 6, You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. The Old Testament covering of these holy people, the Levitical priesthood. In the New Testament, as New Covenant believers, Jesus Christ is the covering of his bride. Jesus Christ is your covering. Jesus Christ is my covering. You know, like in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul talks about the covering of a woman is her husband. It's an example. It's like to to have a physical example of the spiritual realm of Jesus Christ being the covering of his bride. You talk to wives, you know, wives who are, you know, feminist wives. And they say, I don't want my husband as my covering. I don't want to say I'm a feminist, you know. It's not about that. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's to say, hey, you know what? Your pride, get rid of that pride. Throw it in the garbage. It's an example of our heavenly husband. It's an example of our heaven, the heavenly bridegroom as a covering unto the bride. Anytime you have these uh, female heroes, such as Esther, there's always a male covering. For Esther, it was uh, 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 her uncle. I forgot his name. Uh, anybody know the, the uncle? I want to say it starts with an M. Mordecai. 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 He's my, I bust out my Hebrew. Mordecai. But there's always a male covering. Always. 100% of the time. And it's a shadow of the things to come. The bridegroom being the covering for his bride. The covering for you. The covering for me. It's beautiful. You know, nowadays you talk to these feminists and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not down with the patriarch system. What are you talking about the patriarch system? Read your Bible. You know, it's... The heavenly realm is a patriarchy. Sorry to break it to you. And so you start to see these things, and he says, uh, "Um, in verse seven, and you shall take you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him." Now, in the Old Testament, you know when there's ever oil for anointing, it's like this big old like that of oil and it's not like a little drop you know it's like straight up uh, like a dousing like it's just poured all over and that's what the lord is saying hey this is how you're going to consecrate these these priests the priests are being consecrated for a very very special task because once they're consecrated unto the lord you know how much sin happens in the camp of israel and these are people who are going to perform this uh, the, the, the consecration of the people. And he says, then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. You know, it's so powerful because, you know, as New Covenant believers, what is it to put robes on these people? But as New Covenant believers, our robe is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is my robe. Jesus Christ is your robe. Turn with me to Romans 13. Really quick. Romans 13. Verse 11. And Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. I love Paul so much. I'm so, so, so in love with this guy. Every time I read his letters, his words, it's like, man, I fall more and more and more in love with this beautiful, beautiful man. Paul is saying, hey, don't sleep. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our our robe. We wear him like a robe. And how this translates, this concept, how it translates into Greek is to dive into it like a robe, to immerse yourself in a robe. Every time I think about that, I think about Penny and her, you know, L.A. Dodgers uh, pajamas. You know how she was like a little tiny baby and we got her this oversized shirt so she could get some usage out of it. And she just wears it. Liz got me this robe, this big, enormous robe. And I love it. You know, I put it on. It's like a Snuggie, you know, except it's a robe. And so I put it on over here. I take the other end and put it over here. And then I gird myself with this little the little robe. I'm kind of chubby, so it's like a big, you know, big knot that I have to tie. But it's so beautiful because every time I put it on, I think about, you know, I just want to immerse myself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. Make no provision for the flesh To fulfill its lusts. And that's what's so cool about Paul because he's just sold out. Remember, this is a guy, we're going to see his introduction in the book of Acts pretty soon. And this is a guy who was out to murder and, you know, have Christians arrested. He desired that, you know, when Stephen was being stoned, he was there, he was watching. And it's so cool to see what the Lord can do with the... Anybody, anybody, just like he did with Paul. The question is, number one, do we believe? And then question number two, are you going to be obedient to the Lord? Are we going to be an obedient people to the Lord? And if the answer is yes, then put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And you know, it's so powerful because this very concept of Putting on righteousness is written right here in the law, in Exodus 29, verse 8. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. This is an Old Testament. Remember a shadow of the things to come? There's another robe that in the spiritual terms, what we put on is Jesus Christ. And then I shouldn't even say in the spiritual term, in the spiritual sense, because in a very literal sense, in a very physical sense, the Lord himself is going to give us a white robe, clothed in white. You know, look at the pages of Revelation when John has all these visions of the multitudes. And then he asks, who are these people? Sometimes an angel asks him, you know, hey, John, who are these people? And he's like, I don't know. And then the angel speaks. He says, these are the people, these are the people of Righteousness. Some of them died on the earth. Some of them were killed because of their faith. But now look, here they are in their glorified bodies with their these beautiful white robes. Here in verse nine says, "And you shall gird them with uh, Exodus twenty nine verse nine, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute." So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. This is Levitical priesthood put in action. And you remember how I said, you know, I'm going to mention that a little bit later. How, you know, I want to say it's the inception of the Levitical priesthood. Spiritually speaking, I should say literally speaking, it's not the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 really quick. Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews 7, verse 9, the writer of Hebrews, which I think is Paul. I'm almost certain it's Paul. But, I, you know, it's not really written like, you know, Paul wrote this. This is Paul. But I'm like 99.85% certain it's Paul. He says in verse 9, even Levi. Levi was the third son of Jacob and Leah. And in his lineage was the Levitical priesthood, what's being established in our study in the book of Exodus. And the writer here says, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. That's a very, very, very big deal. For he was still in the loins of his father. You know, a lot of men, I don't want to get grotesque. I don't want to get overly graphic. But a lot of men place absolutely zero value on their loins and the seed inside their loins. And they toss it to the curb. They give it to whoever. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Because you see, the writer of Hebrews is, you know, that's why I said, you know, like in our our passage here in Exodus 29, I want to say the inception of the Levitical priesthood, because it's where the Lord is saying, hey, Moses, I want you to do this with Aaron and his sons, but it's not really the case. Because he says here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9, He says, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And he's starting to teach about the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But that's what I'm talking about. When you say, you know, really the inception of the Levitical priesthood was way before what we're reading here in Exodus 29. The Lord is just mentioning it to Moses and saying, hey, it's time to put it in action. What about you? What about me? All these things of Holy Scripture that were written long ago. But at what point will you or I say, you know what, Lord, I'm done playing games I don't want to toy around with this sin anymore. I don't want to toy around with this carnal nature anymore. Lord, I am sold out 100% for you. And it's like, okay, now it's time to put these things in motion. All these things written long ago. Remember, you know, salvation in Jesus Christ, it's a free gift for everybody. Free for you, free for me, but it cost our Father, His only begotten Son. But then at the same time, so we're all Christians. But then something happens where it's like, okay, now we're believers. But at what point are we going to start to mature and grow in Christ? And maybe, metaphorically speaking, climb up the mountain as we mature. Climb up the mountain where the multitudes of people are down here. And it's like, no, I want intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, I love these people. And, you know, we've come out of the water. We've been rescued. We've been caught by the Lord. But you know what? I want to mature. I don't want to be on milk forever. And then you're in this special cloud, you know, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. As we read in Hebrews 12. But then at the same time at what point is the lord gonna say hey go back down from the mountain and teach my people it's just like the same thing nothing new under the sun as solomon writes nothing new under the sun and so the lord in exodus 29 verse 9 you know what he says here at the end he says the priesthood shall be theirs for a, perpetu- for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You see this perpetual statute? All, all through the Old Testament, every single book here, you see priests. You see the Levitical priesthood. Sometimes you see priests that are just sold out and on fire for the Lord. But then you also see corruption in the priesthood. Corruption in the priesthood. <clears throat> You see corruption. These very people who the Lord is telling Moses to consecrate, specifically some of Aaron's sons, the Lord kills them. The Lord takes two of his sons, of Aaron's sons, because they didn't honor the Lord. We're going to get into that in our study in Leviticus. But they didn't honor the holy things of the Lord. And, you know, it's so powerful because, you know, as the Lord is forgotten, the priesthood just turns their back on the Lord. You have a 400-year period of silence from Malachi to Matthew. There's 400 years where God didn't speak. There was no prophets for 400 years. The only ones who knew of the Lord were households and families who retained it. Old people telling their kids, telling their sons and daughters, and they would have kids and telling their sons and daughters. And it was very, very few of those were the wise men who said, you know, I can't. It blows me away to picture these wise men in the area of of the Babylonian region. And they weren't Hebrew, which means what? What was the last Hebrew influence in Babylonia? You see, we uh, read Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All these people who were taken into Babylonian captivity, the young people. And then Nebuchadnezzar, uh, 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 Nehemiah, when the Lord, after the 70-year 70 70 year chastisement of the Lord, You know, God says to to Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem. And now you have this exodus again from the region of Babylon and to come back into Jerusalem. And you see restoration of Jerusalem. But then at the same time, you see the influence of the Hebrew people in the Babylonian region. That's where you have the uh, Samaritan people. And some of these people, you know, these wise men that were in this region, they look up at the sun, at the stars and they see, wow, you know, there's a star here. And then somebody says, I remember the Hebrew people, they were saying about this. They were talking about a bright star. And then one of them says, you know what, guys? I got an idea. Let's pack up our stuff, load up the camels, and let's go there. Let's follow it. Can you imagine what great faith that must have taken? It's not a short distance. And it's not like you're flying in a plane or driving in a car, no freeways. You're straight up walking. I mean, the camel's walking, but that's how you're traveling. But for one of these guys to say, you know what, let's pack up our bags and let's follow this star. And they keep following and following and following and following. Remember the 400 years of silence, there's no prophets. The priesthood is a mess. The priesthood is not honoring the Lord. Except what do you see? These wise men who in the course of time were taught the things of the Lord. And now their faith is leading them to this manger. You see how beautiful this is? This priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. But remember, there's a new high priest as Jesus Christ. A high priest in the order of Melchizedek. All these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come. He says, you shall have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. <clears throat> and Aaron And his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. This altar, you remember the Lord gave the blueprints for the the brazen altar. We studied that in in chapter 27. And so the Lord told him, you know, a couple chapters ago, the Lord told him, "I, I want you to build this. This brazen altar, this altar, and cover it with bronze. And this is what I want you to do. And now the Lord is giving him further blueprints of using those things. But the same thing applies to you and me in terms of what the Lord teaches us. You know how He equips us. You know He equips. He, he put a look at a child. You take a little plastic hammer, put it in his hand. A little plastic saw and you put it in her hand. And they go out and they toy around. Look, you know, I'm sawing the pillow. Look, I'm sawing this. But then you fast forward 20 years and there, you know, they have their own construction company. That's what the Lord does with you. That's what he does with me. He'll equip us, but then he'll teach us, you know, why he equipped us. You know, hey, I want you to, I want to equip you with this because I'm going to use you for this. It's his bidding. It's his will. And now the Lord is telling him, hey, remember that brazen altar? This is what I want you to do at that altar. He says in verse 12, you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. It's a sin offering. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment. Put yourself in Moses' shoes Hearing these things of the Lord and thinking, wow, my brother is going to be so blown away and how God, you know, he led us out of Egyptian captivity and now God wants to use him. God wants to use his sons. I can't wait to tell him he's going to be on cloud nine. And then all of a sudden he comes down the mountain and he sees the golden calf. Imagine what a shock that would have been to Aaron. But then at the same time, Yes, to be shocked, to have righteous indignation, but then to say, you know what? Let's deal with this sin. Let's deal with this sin. But the same thing applies to you and me. Look at the sin around us, in culture around us, in friends and family. You know, that one thing that really bugs me about, you know, get togethers with friends, get together it's like, you know, sometimes they talk and it's like, Wow, you know, I went to this club last night, yeah, I did this last night, or two weeks ago, we went over here, we did this, and it's like it's painful to listen to. But then at the same time, it's to say, Okay, yeah, you did that, but you know what? Let's deal with it. That is sin. It is not right before the eyes of the Lord. You need to repent. And sometimes people will say, you know, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, and you give them the good news. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. It is not pleasing to the Lord. It is dishonoring to the Lord. And the same thing applies to the Lord. And he's having this very special special intimacy with Moses. It's not just for the sake of intimacy. There's that aspect of it, which is beautiful. But it's to say, okay, now what are we going to do about it? And you see the obedience of Moses. While we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for our sin. Now, how is sin going to be dealt with? To fall on our knees and say, Lord, I repent. I repent. A little bit more in closing verse 15 says you shall also take one ram so the previous sacrifice was a bull it was a sin offering and now it's a ram remember in verse 1 he says take one young bull and two rams without blemish and so he says you shall take one ram and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the on the head of the ram <clears throat> and you shall kill the ram and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar then you shall cut the ram in pieces with its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and with its head and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar it is a burnt offering to the lord it is a sweet aroma an offering made with fire an offering made by fire to the lord it's a burnt offering to take it, to kill it, to sacrifice it, take the blood, sprinkle the blood all around the altar, to cut it in pieces, and then to lay it there on the on the brazen altar, on the, the grate that he gave him instructions to build, and light it on fire. Burn it. It is a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. As new covenant believers, in Romans 12. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. To say, you know what, Lord? I'm carrying my cross. I desire to carry my cross. And it's not carrying a cross... You know, like, you know, for the accolades of men, is to carry your cross and say, you know what, Lord, I'm laying my life before you. Here am I. Take me. Use me. You say, wow, that's pretty heavy connotations. Are you likening, you know, your living sacrifice, surrendering your body as a living sacrifice? Are you likening that to the burnt offering of the Old Testament? That is precisely what I'm doing. It's precisely what I'm urging. In verse two, he continues and says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So many people have zero clue what is the will of God have no idea what is the will of God. And you know what? If you don't know the will of God, praise be to the Lord. Be patient and wait. But I also say what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more carnal I am, the more carnal you are, verse 2, becomes an impossibility. How can, I be, how can I be transformed from the world when I am conforming myself to the world? It's impossible. Don't do that. That's what I mean when I say surrendering yourself a living sacrifice as a burnt offering unto the Lord. He says in verse 19, going to Exodus 29, he says, you shall also take the other ram, And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Very, very, very interesting to take some of the blood and put it on the ear, the hand and the foot. Very special mention of the ear, the hand, and the foot. Very interesting. And we're going to talk about that more in coming chapters. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the uh, anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed. And his son's and his son's garments with him, cleansed and consecrated. It's not just blood like it was with the first ram. It's not just blood. It's now blood and oil. Blood and oil. Mm. So what do we do? We surrender our bodies as new covenant believers. You know, we surrender our bodies a living sacrifice of the Lord and unto the Lord. And you say, here, here, my Lord, here, my life, I desire it to be a burnt offering unto the Lord. And remember this second offering, you know, that's unto the Lord. But the second offering, you know, this mixture with oil—it's not a small thing. What do we, what we we're straight up reading on Sunday, like the Book of Acts? We've already passed Acts chapter two, and you see this mixture with the oil—the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, Jay, that you, you've said it now. You mean to tell me that my life is a burnt offering? You mean to tell me that this blood and oil is symbolic of the Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's crazy talk. That is precisely what I'm saying. All these things are a shadow of the things to come. You want to go back to Hebrew roots movements? You want to go out and sacrifice a bull? sacrifice a ram? If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. I hate to even utter those words, but these are the words that Paul had to tell a church, Christians that were going back to the law. All these things are a shadow of the things to come. A believer, you and me, living in Christ, you know, with the robe, you know, of Christ, but then at the same time, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple more verses. And you shall also take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. There's a purpose of the ram. The consecration of these, the priesthood one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Remember, he told them about this this bread in verse two. Put them all in a basket in verse three. And now he's saying, okay, now that basket that I told you about, now I want you to use it. He says in verse 24, and you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. This wave offering. I mean, say, for example, you go on a hot air balloon. Okay, you're in a hot air balloon and you go really high in the sky to where me and fur, we look like, you know, like, mm, like we're four inches tall. You know, you're very, very high. And you see these guys that are four inches tall. And then, you know, Fur hands me uh, an animal, or, you know, he hands me a, a loaf of bread. And, you know, here I am, you know, four inches tall to your sight. And so you see Fur, he holds up the bread, and you see, oh, oh, Fur's four inches tall, but he's holding up this bread. And then you see him hand it to me. And then here I am holding the loaf of bread now. And then I start to wave it like this. <laughs> And you see, wow, you know, he's, you know, fur gave it to Jay. Jay waved it. And now look what happens. He says, you shall wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And then in verse 25, you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar. So I give the bread, I give it back to fur and he takes it. Remember, Moses is a type of Christ. What are your spiritual gifts? What is it, the the very spiritual gifting that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you? Sometimes it's a very special gifting for the sake of ministry. Sometimes it's a gifting in terms of the gifting of the Holy Spirit, a specific calling of the Lord. But what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, what is it that he has given you? And it's on full display for all to see to the glory and honor of God, our father, hallowed be his name. Whatever that is, that is a wave offering unto the Lord. And then, you know, there's going to come a time where we give it back to the Lord in glory and honor of him. These are very, very powerful verses that we're looking at today as new covenant believers very very powerful that's the wave offering to say you know the priest gives it to you know the and you're going to see it in not just the priesthood but you're going to see it in the lives of God's people the wave offering where the priest hands it to somebody and somebody waves it yes you know i acknowledge this from the lord and then gives it back to the priest This is what he says. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Remember, the things in the law are a shadow of the things to come. A mere shadow of the things to come. In no way, shape, or form am I I advocating the things of the law, but I am advocating Jesus Christ. In closing... Turn with me to John 5 really quick. This is going to be super fast. <clears throat> In John 5, the Pharisees, they, they thought they were so hardcore. Man, we're hardcore. You know, this Jesus guy, he's on the scene. We're so hardcore. And they confront Jesus Christ. And they're like, you know what? We follow Moses. This is what Jesus Christ said, says to them in John 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. I think that's very powerful. You know, searching the scriptures is a very beautiful thing. But you know what's even more beautiful? is having ears to hear. And you know what's even more beautiful behind that? is putting the things you learn into action in your life and applying them in your life. The work of your hands, the work of your feet. The word goes in your ear, the work of your hands and the work of your feet. And I say that specifically. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? That's a hardcore question. This is what he says in verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's a hardcore condemnation to these so-called holy people who looked holy But they were like whitewashed tombs. They were actors. They were playing the part. You know, let that never, ever, ever be said of us, of you and me. And that's what's so beautiful about marriage. That's what's so beautiful about a close-knit church body to say, hey, you know what? To call me on it. And I can call you on it. The fellowship of the saints to say, hey, you know what? That's a little carnal, brother. That's a little carnal, sister. Or you could say, hey, that's a little carnal, brother. That's koinonia. Koinonia. In Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, or poor. All one in Christ. Church unity. It's not church unity to say, hey, let's get together and, you know, smoking joke. It's to say, hey, no, let's get together. Let's feed upon the truth of God's holy word. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. And then let's go out and handle some business. That's the church that we see in the book of Acts. And you know what? It's like, wow, you know, Lord, here are we. Here are we. Have your way with us. So we're going to end our study here.